I, I want to say a few words in general about the format of this conversation. I will let our guests, each of them, uh, speak a few words first. Then I will ask a few questions to lead the discussion. Then we will open the floor to audience, so you will have your chances to ask questions. Be prepared at a certain time. I will open uh, the floor. So now, Ms. Lee. This is a, a big audience. Um, uh, I, I want to thank all of you who come here. Uh, I heard some of you even fly from California to here today. Um, I, I'm very touched. Uh, it's my great honor to be here. Um, Madame Chang, I share study here, so I figure you must be very smart. <laughs> and all your boyfriends and girlfriends must be very smart. <laughs> I try my best. James, help me out. <laughs> um, well, I was reminded by text uh, yesterday uh, from my uh, oldest daughter, who's a senior at Carleton College this year, uh, who attended a similar event with Aang and myself a few years ago when we were at Berkeley, uh, and she came up with a nickname for me that has uh, stuck ever since, um, uh, which is uh, VFS. Uh, that stands for uh, Vaguely Famous Sidekick. <laughs> And uh, as she texted me uh, yesterday before we, we began our event at Harvard, that uh, VFSs uh, shouldn't speak too much. <laughs> you, you definitely should speak a lot today. Huh? <laughs> okay, so uh, uh, I want to begin the conversation by asking you the questions that you have probably answered many times. I know you answered this question yesterday at Harvard, but I want to ask this again for this audience. Uh, you two have worked together uh, on uh, 11 films, right? Is that right? And uh, that's a, a, a time span of uh, 22 years. It's a sort of a legendary collaboration. And uh, I'd like to know how this legendary collaboration begin, what was the decisive factors that made you two want to work together and then sustain this uh, uh, long-time professional relationship? Well, I met James January uh, uh, 90, uh, 1990. I got a small sum of money from Taiwanese government to make my first movie, Pushing Hands. Uh, I didn't know 400,000 I can make a movie in New York or not. Just through a neutral friend of ours, I met James, his partner, uh, Ted Hope. They have a small company, two tables, in Japaka area, uh, called Good Machine, which is, a, I would say, precursor of, precursor of Focus. Uh, so we pitched to each other. I pitched in the movie. Uh, of course, he said that's the worst pitch he ever heard. <laughs> uh, but that's a filmmaker's pitch. And they pitched themselves to me as the king of no-budget filmmaking. They said, listen, it's not low-budget, no-budget. Your money is luxury for us. We teach filmmakers to make movies they can afford instead of in development hell and doing nothing, which was my life for the previous six years. So that was uh, very touching to me. I just hope these two are not crooks, because uh, those are Taiwanese taxpayers' money. I don't want to lose them. Um, but over the years, to make long stories short, uh, James uh, live up to what they pitch. They teach filmmakers to make movies they can afford, however it happens. Uh, over the years, if uh, my script needs to touch up, my English needs to improve, my information needs to be enlarged, uh, he'll fill in. Uh, if 
they need to sell a movie. Uh, James will go out, pretend he's a salesman, eventually become a good salesman. <laughs> if I need a producer, if I need, you know, he'll start from entourage, like, like Sense Sensibility, and ends up being producing the movie. He bluffed his way and learned to be a great producer. Um, to, the, to the time, actually, he set up Focus. Um, uh, he's actually across the table. He buy properties, he finance the movie, and produce it and write it. However, I need. Uh, I go to Wesley. Should I wear a tie or a James? What do you think? <laughs> what shirt I should wear? Just, just no uh, logos. <laughs> uh, whatever I need. So I actually never thought. Well, sometimes even absence is a help. Like uh, Brokeback Mountain, I was racked by uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and the Hulk. I said, James. I don't want to retire on hoax. I want to make a movie with no stress, a small movie nobody will see. And James find a Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> Gay cowboys. Now, who's going to see that? I'm from Taiwan. What do I have in common? But it, it, you know, I'm attached to it. I made, and the short story made me cry. Uh, uh, James said, Can you make, you know, we have focus. Can you make it? I said, I need twice as much. Okay. I said, under, under one condition, just leave me alone. If anybody bothers me, make me angry, like I'm going to hulk out, just, <laughs> just deal with them. Don't let anybody bother me. And he did exactly that. Hmm. Minimum. Um, you know, the last movie, at James, I need to grow up a little bit. I want to make the most difficult movie, impossible movie, on my own. He left me alone for four years. He was there every day with me, but his absence. And he never asked me a word about how the script come along. And, uh, so doing pie, was, I was feeling like literally I was floating with a tiger across the Pacific by myself because uh, uh, I was working without James. Um, James is sort of the organized religion for me. And when I don't have him, when I face him, I, I'm facing God. Uh, <laughs> So anyway, now we're back again doing uh, a boxing movie. Mm -hmm. um, so it's so James. Maybe hear the story from the other side? No, I mean, the interesting thing is to tell it first off, thank you, Aang. Um, but in hearing uh, part of the, these functions, one of the interesting things for me is uh, as, the, as the stories get retold, certain, uh, it's like a, a, in a poker game, certain tells happen. And uh, the tell that I now realize after 22 years is that when Aang tells the story of coming in with this grant from the Taiwanese government of $400,000, very worried that these guys were going to steal the money, uh, what, what uh, he forgets is that he walked in and said he had $360,000. So he was holding $40,000 <laughs> back from us, obviously, because he wanted to see if we could pull it off and if we messed up. He had some money in his back pocket. So, so I always learn something new from these events, I have to say. Well, James, I never consider as a specific help a job. I think he's my fellow filmmaker. Hmm. Uh, that's what I can say about him if I have to sum it up. Hmm. Uh, he's a filmmaker at heart. And uh, is there a significant moment that uh, um, should your disagreement on certain things and then you later needed to negotiate or even, I don't know, had, had a duel or something to solve the problem? <laughs> could you give us a, share us an example? Or? 
Oh, everything was smooth. No, no, no. There's no such thing. <laughs> It's like marriage. What do you think? <laughs> uh, we constantly uh, learn about each other. There's, there's, of course, there's a conflict, disagreement. Uh, I, I'm from the east. He's the west. Um, so just to let him get the idea in order to help me to make things clear, first it has to be attractive. It has to be exciting. If he falls asleep, then it's no good. And the other, to penetrate him, it has to be reasonable. A lot of things from my culture, background, and habits, I just do it automatically. I just take it for granted, not knowing that people might have problem absorbing it. Uh, so through James, with you know, incredibly smart person and reasonable and imaginative, uh, eager to learn, actually passing through him. Sometimes the biggest obstacles, but if I do, the help I get and the the result it comes is it, the reward is really handsome. Mm-hmm. So very quickly I learned that that's uh, the goodness of uh, working with James. And I would say, you know, what's interesting is that um, the paradigmatic pattern that this is supposed to be is is somehow the East. Figures as that which uh, escapes the rationality of kind of the global cinematic language, the system, commerciality, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and somehow it's got to find its way through this Western filter and come out the other side so that it can kind of play to audiences across borders and across nationalities. What's, what I think is interesting is that the actual story is the opposite. That is to say, mm-hmm. the, even even from an economic perspective. Uh, it's the Western side that has a kind of reflective, reflexive, I should say, not reflective, reflexive, immediate, unthought-through, kind of knee-jerk reaction to things, and it's the Eastern side that's actually becoming the commercial logic, and you can see that in Life of Pi, uh, for example, where the film did perfectly well here in the States, but it did probably almost six times. Uh, uh, what it, uh, it, it did here worldwide, overseas. Mm-hmm. And so from the Hollywood point of view now, this is actually a very sexy proposition uh, because uh, the United States is uh, a small backwater provincial market uh, <laughs> that's a simple kind of gravy afterthought thing and yet the studios have to make movies that will work around the world. And the people who are running those studios, including me, for up until a couple weeks ago, um, were people who didn't have the, 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 uh, the ability, kind of the gut feeling, to figure out how this is all going to work. So it, it's funny. You could, you, you could think of the Eastern as functioning as this kind of uh, uh, non-economic, non-logical, how do we make it work, how will we learn from Hollywood, Uh, but it's actually the opposite. Uh, my next question is about uh, 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 the following several questions will be about uh, your films or your own reflections on your films. We, we recently had a one-day uh, Anli film marathon on campus. Uh, it's actually we did this upon the suggestion from a former student and it's quite successful, and we got a chance to see films uh, continuously, one after another, non-stop, and uh, I... Mean, I <laughs> less less from, question alone is an Ang Lee marathon. From, yeah, 
I, I saw I saw it eight times already actually from midday to midnight and uh, 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 so because of this I, my colleagues and I got opportunity to see all your films all the major films again and uh, begin to notice things that I had not noticed before such as some gestures some facial expressions that we see in different characters in different con cultural contexts in different languages from one film to another then uh, what really struck me is the continuous focus on the dynamism of, of the parent-children relationship that was clearly seen in the first trilogy, the father, uh, the father trilogy, and then in the ice storm I, I saw quite a, a twisted and complicated uh, suffocating that kind of a relationship, and this, one of the sons actually dies at the end of the film. Then in the Hulk, the father is evil and insane, and he's killed by his own son. And uh, all the way, uh, and as in, even in some films, there's no father, but uh, the father is, is absent in the caution. He's away, and uh, Tang Wei has to write letters to, to him, no, no reply. And, uh, but we see the Guo Fu's image, the founding father of the Republic, right? The, some father. And in Life of Pi, we see the father again, um, strict, practical, but he appears to be lame, right? A little lame. So always something there. So I, I'd like to ask you to, to, give, to share, share with us uh, why this fa father, father figure, or different you father figures. I wonder what my father did to me. Could you please tell us that? <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I, I guess uh, uh, movies rely a lot on drama, my, my, my movies. It's an exam of humanity. Uh, the only way to examine that is through conflict. Uh, that's the best way to present, you know, to make the issue clear. I, I don't have any issue with my mother. She's a nice person. <laughs> uh, so she's, I love her, but she's not in my drama. Um, so I, I guess I start out doing, because that's, I'm, I'm, I'm the family drama because I'm a domestic person. I was a very docile child growing up, went to school. And after school, I got married, and I didn't have a job. My wife go out to work, and uh, I brought up children, cooking, writing script, going nowhere. Uh, that, that was my life. So most my my life is confined. My life experience is in a family. Uh, I do notice that I, I grow up and growing older, and family structure changes. Uh, parents get older. I have my own children. The one thing. I think that will never change, provide us security, something you can believe in, you can lean on to. Uh, it's family, it provides you security. If that is changing, what else? It doesn't change. Uh, so I, 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 that was my coming of age, the big subject matter to me. And also my larger family, Taiwan, a nationalistic government, also turned on me when I come to the States. And all of a sudden, I realized that you know, I started reading communist books. Uh, actually, we're the bad guys. So <laughs> that was a big flip on me. So a lot of uh, things I used to believe that I believe that never change, change. It's like uh, our oldest wisdom in China, Yi Jing, uh, says everything, the only thing in common that doesn't change is the principle that everything will change on you. So that's, uh, 
that's a big theme for me, and I have to start. I cannot pro, uh, describe the whole society, the whole world. I have to narrow it down into a manageable size in order to do drama. So family is the thing for me because that's a miniature of society of the world. Over movies, I know I start with doing my father because I, I have he was my main uh, oppression, so to speak, and my sense of honor, everything. Uh, I want to please him as a son and disappointed him because I'm a filmmaker. That's a shame in Chinese. <laughs> my father was like, after my first Oscar, that when are you going to start teaching, do something real? <laughs> now, now are you happy? I got the Oscar. It was my father. His high, high, my high school principal. That's how bad it is. Um, so I always worry about you know, disappointing my father. Over the years, I realized father is a standard for, for me, for a standard for the Chinese culture, which is a patriarchal society, whether you collaborate with him or not, like Wang Jiaxi when she says no, a, a girl. Uh, I think that stands for our tradition. So I, I think I was examining Chinese history or culture through my father. Um, I love my father. He passed away. Um, but it is important in my movies. Uh, I guess it never leaves. And right now I'm a father. So I, I think and during the movie like Hulk, I don't know if that father is my father or myself to my son. So. And and also in, uh, in in some of the films like the the Hulk, like uh, uh, the Ice Storm, um, the, this father image is not uh, is I not Chinese. I was the father. Like mm. uh, Kevin Klein character, mm. he has no clue what he's doing. Mm. <laughs> uh, he brought out the same way, even though he's American. Uh, mm. But he brought in the fifties. Uh, pretty much the same way I was brought up 60s in, in Taiwan, conservative, uh, bluffing, a lot of bluffing. Then in the 70s, when he uh, deal with the teenagers and kids, he doesn't know what to do. That's very much like myself. And all of a sudden, the way I was brought up, was I take orders until one day I grow up to give orders. I never reason with anybody. Um, so just to communicate and make sense with your kids was, was it's a terrifying job. Um, but in the meantime, only thing I know is you know, being fatherly. So I, I very much identify with the part with Kevin Klein. I, don't, I didn't have a clue. <laughs> yeah, will James have something to say about uh, the father image in in the Ice Storm? You you won a major prize for the screenplay. Yeah. for that film. Yeah. yeah, no, it was, it was um, the ice storm, uh, because the age of the children was, at that era, was my age. So I was actually, you know, I, I was seeing it from the kid's point of view in many ways, and I was able to sneak in a lot of stuff uh, from my own childhood uh, in Los Angeles. You know, the, uh, the uh, cherry chicken that was frozen on the inside thing, that's my mom's cooking, stuff like that. Um, uh, and at the same time, we were having kids. My my second daughter was born during pre-production, so uh, we were we were in this strange betwixt and between thing. But I, I, I do think that that as Anne was saying, I, I, probably if, as you pointed out, if there is one through line, and there are many, uh, this idea of family 
mm. which is a given as a patriarchal structure and which really under, and I think, let's, let's use the big phrase, under the conditions of late capitalism, uh, patriarchy uh, kind of hollows itself out. It's not replaced by anything particularly better necessarily, uh, but certainly more hopeful. There's more opportunities for difference and better when these things break down. Uh, and I think Ice Storm is a perfect example where uh, that paternal and patriarchal position suddenly expresses its own kind of desires that are uh, no more legit than these teenage desires, right? So the, the grown-ups are like the teenagers and vice versa. And the minute you, you uh, uh, have that, that, that uh, image, that moment narratively of the patriarch being a kind of desiring thing, uh, you lose the entire structure, the authority structure. So if you go back and see the early films, The Father Knows Best trilogy, it's always the big crisis in these movies is always when the old dude actually goes, oh, I, want, I actually want something or I desire something, and it's a little out of his control. And at that point, the entire family structure starts to blow up. Um, it just can't function. And, uh, and, and so this production, an overproduction of different kinds of desires uh, that capitalism and global, global economies and transnational and all these kind of wonderful phrases that we associate now with Aang's movies and these kinds of contexts really work their way in as, as antagonists to the structures that gave, provided that safety and comfort to people. Um, but in that process, again, you get these wonderful moments like with Crouching Tiger, where you really see worked out that crisis in here coming from the, this kind of this iteration of the wuxia genre in the 20s and 30s. You, 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 you see in this intervention in a specifically Chinese way, I don't know this much about it, where suddenly that transmission of male patriarchal knowledge gets interrupted. You know, the book is stolen and the girls have it and they're not going to give it up. Um, and suddenly there's the, even the master, you know, Chow yeah. Yun-Fat is like, oh, I've kind of got the hots for her. What? Mm, Uh-oh. You know, uh, and the whole system starts to kind of break up. And so you, you know, and I, so I think I don't have this particular reading in Pi uh, yet because I think it, it becomes almost un ungendered. Although I think the gender issues in Pi are really super interesting um, when you unpack the narrative underneath the images. Um, and I think uh, we'll see how we do it with the boxing movie. Uh, <laughs> that's a whole other place where uh, uh, patriarchy and uh, and freedom and breakup ha will happen. Yeah, yeah, I, I do see the opposite actually. On the one hand, we, we, you, you have this father figure in almost all of your films, or absent father figures that still are sort of powerful in the film. But on the other hand, we, we see uh, individuals isolated from, actually I quoted this question from one of my colleagues. Um, uh, we, we, we meet a character who is somehow isolated, removed from the continuities of home, family, nation, either by choice or by chance. Sometimes you use the figure of a uh, gay man to explore the sense of isolation and separation. Sometimes it's a generational thing. Or in less caution, it is the bridge created by war and opposing loyalties. Um, but in the end, this character seems to uh, or must make a leap of faith um, that leap of faith seems often to become a visual gesture. The father's raised hands at the end of the wedding banquet, or uh, the literal leap taken by the girl at the end of the cartoon Tiger and the Dragon. So could you talk about how these themes and figures, the isolation 
the individuals, um, the leap of faith emerge for you in the development of, uh, uh, of your film? Is it a starting point? When you decide on such an ending, do you think about the impact in these terms? I don't start out making a movie thinking about those terms. Um, something I want to express, I feel very strongly. And then you figure it out, that's what it's about. <laughs> um, I, I think looking back, because people keep talking about my movies that way, it just make me think uh, introspectively. Uh, I think that, that that's me. Um, because my family came from mainland China due to the civil war. So in Taiwan, we're actually outsider, even the ruling class, but it's outsider with the minority. Uh, I, I was brought out till 10 o'clock in the school that's surrounded by this kind of people environment. And in, um, when I was 10, I was brought to uh, another city due to my father's become the, the principal of a city of uh, Tainan. Uh, a southern city, it's a big city. I went to a big school. They all speak Taiwanese and, and, and Japanese style kind of a militant kind of um, uh, way of teaching, uh, education. And I, I couldn't adjust it, it was terrifying to me. Uh, and I felt like an outsider. And we're always the very minority in the southern part of Taiwan being um, people from mainland China uh, recently. And uh, after 23 years of age, I, I came to the States, of course, a foreigner. And all the Americans, we don't have so many Asian students like these days. They're bigger, taller, stronger, <laughs> <laughs> maybe prettier, they look smarter. I didn't even really speak English. I want to be an actor, I, I couldn't perform. It was like, it was a lot of repression. Of course, I feel outsider. Um, when I get a chance to go back to my father's homeland, where we came from, uh, again, we're uh, Taiwanese, we're, we're, we're outsider too. So all my life I've been floating, I never have a definite route to certain culture or, or blood relationship, you know, or geography or history. Um, so to me, I hate to be categorized. I hate people, oh, I don't hate them, but um, <laughs> people have definite root to their culture and being uh, as a group. Uh, yeah. So that, that bothers me. I don't want to, because I, I don't believe, uh, belong to any one of them. I, I was always fish out of water. So I was everything and sometimes nothing. Um, so I guess over the years, I, I want to adapt to anything I, I touch, and at the same time, I want to be accepted as a multicolor. For the Take This East and West collaboration, for example, it's as if I, I was developed one side of my head that's Chinese, that's figurative, uh, like our, 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 our character, our words. And then there's a spelling on the other hand. And it, if I get both, both sides of my head uh, speaking to each other and both develop, uh, how wonderful would that be? Why do I have to be categorized in certain ways? So floating is my thing, but as you float long enough, you want to be accepted that way. Uh, unfortunately, I found over the years, my movie's not that lonely. I get many uh, 
uh, it was identified by many audience. Uh, I think that's good. I think not everybody's have a definition, and it will all compose of many parts, many elements. And I, I very much welcome that, and I encourage people like me to stand out and say, "This is who I am." It has multi facet. Uh, accept me and res respect each other. So that, that's, I think that's my thing. Um, but when I make movies, I, I just want the movie to be seen and to be accepted. Uh, that was very simple, because the material touched me. I don't want to get into detail, uh, making linguistic rationalization about what I'm doing. I, I didn't really want to do it. I, James, uh, uh, do you want to talk about it from the perspective of the screenwriter and the producer? Not, all I have is the spelling side of the brain. I don't <laughs> have the other side. Um, you know, it's interesting because the, 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 the way in which these discussions get configured uh, mm. in terms of, on the one hand, a kind of national or, or let's say cultural Chinese identity. Mm. Uh, so there's this identity issue and then it's diasporic and transnationalized and globalized and stretched and all these things, and, and, um, and the way that, and you were just speaking, which I find very moving about that kind of, uh, the phrase floating, which of course in, in the East we associate that phrase with players, with theater, you know, the floating world. Um, uh, so there's a sense in which culture functions in two completely opposite ways. On the one hand, it's supposed to express some kind of identity. Oh, it's Asian cinema, or it's American. It's, you know, it's expressive of your identity, your deepest identity. And on the other hand, of course, culture is precisely the thing that people do to kind of de-identify themselves, to remove themselves from wherever they are and float somewhere else to get away. So that a lot of you are here, Wellesley, because you were the kid in the back of the class who was not with everybody else in that kind of weird whatever culture of your high school was. You were the one who's like, I'm going to kind of float out of here and actually get someplace cool later and goodbye everybody. Um, and so culture is this weird tool you use to actually remove yourself from your own identity. So uh, this contradiction uh, plays itself out, I think very productively, not only in Hank's films, but in the discussions about them, that the, you can feel there's something off about how it gets phrased all the time. And we're constantly negotiating which half of that, uh, uh, the spectrum. Uh, of, the, of our culture we want to actually identify with when we make culture. Um, is it an escape or is it a planting of a flag of identity? You decide. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I think now I, I want to uh, I want maybe uh, change uh, uh, discussion to, uh, to, uh, uh, to three uh, specific, uh, specific three films that not necessarily are your most famous films. The first one I want to ask you about is uh, uh, Ride with the Devil. Uh, I, I, I think this film uh, was, um, uh, it did not receive deserved it was a flop. Yes, yeah. a flop. <laughs> but I, I, I think it's great. We're, we're I, I, very proud of the movie, yeah, but yeah, commercially it was a flop. Yeah, I like it, but it did not receive. It looks it did not receive the deserved critical uh, attention at the time of its release. And we show it at Wellesley recently, and uh, um, a lot of us love it. And uh, I, uh, uh, I also, I even consider it uh, like a landmark in the history of your collaboration because I, I saw in this film very profound negotiation and integration of the talents of the, the two of you. 
uh, well, in, in, the, in the father trilogy, probably it's more at least uh, uh, even autobiographical elements you cook, right? but it's also your, your father. In Ice Storm, I see uh, like, uh, your background, things like that. Or Sense and Sensibility, it's a, it's a work with, uh, you, you do with, you did with Tom, uh, Emma Thompson. But this film, it's, a, it's, a, it's really a work of y'all of your too. Uh, could you talk a little bit about this film? How, 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 how did you come to make a film about American Civil War? Of course, it's much more than a war film. Uh, could you share? Uh, I think uh, we start make moving England away from home and eating man, woman away from home from New York. I think for James, uh, he wants to find me something we can stay home. Uh, <laughs> we can make in the state. The heartland of America, right? Uh, that, that's what he said. But I, I think um, I, I was very glad that James pitched me this book. Because um, I, I started thinking about the, the, the global, the, the, what I experienced, the globalization. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it started from the Civil War from Missouri. Yeah, this Yankee invasion actually take over the world, which I grew up with. Uh, what is it? So we were talking about that. And also, growing up in Taiwan, oh, I always uh, identify with the losing side. We always lost. What's uh, <laughs> the war? You know, there's a little league baseball win a world championship. The whole country gets elated. Like, it's the biggest thing, because we never win anything. Uh, <laughs> So the South, somebody grew up in the South had to fight a war, and a former slave fight, you know, uh, fighting the war, what would that be? Uh, what, the, what is the cultural obligation? You're, the, the civilization has to go north, but your, your cultural root is somewhere uh, different. Uh, how, what do you do? That, that, that's like kind of, I, I can very much identify with it. Mm -hmm. So we collaborate on that. And I also mentioned uh, before, I don't like to be categorized. And I, I don't like those Civil War movies made by the Americans. General White Horse, you know, Blue Against Gray, Right, Wrong, uh, Free Slave. It's, it's not really like this. It's really like, uh, like any war. It's really messy. So I like that uh, uniqueness, but truthfulness. It's not your typical Hollywood movie or propaganda movie or mainstream movies. It's art. It's oddball. But the, only those things I found interesting. And I, I grew up worship America. I think America is a great country that formed not by blood, by geography, or even history. It's formed by the idea. And I really want to get into the, the heart of the idea, what it is. Um, and I also found there is the other side of Americans uh, who don't necessarily live up to that idea. But I, I was attracted here. I want to learn about America. So I think that book is very telling. Uh, it didn't have all the things I want to say. There are two spots. Actually, James uh, helped create it. It's not in the book. One is the talking about the, the Yankee spirit. What, what is it? The other is the world of emancipation. Uh, from civil war to civil right, there's the big gap. So uh, there is a scene. I want the former slave to play brilliantly by uh, uh, Jeffrey Wright. That he realized when his best friend died, white friend died, he's freed. Uh, we're all enslaved in some kind of relationship. It's freedom is not something you're given, but it's a realization. It's, it's self-emancipation. 
I think that's important. I think it need to be added to the, James wrote those things uh, in addition to the book. So that's, I, we can talk about the movie all day long. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was always, I was really taken with this, the idea, um, quite revisionist, but you, the minute you understand that Missouri, which is dead center of the United States, uh, was, was a union state that was also a slaveholding state. And that this grand narrative that our textbooks give us, uh, which is, of course, you know, North versus South, uh, uh, war to free the slaves, uh, but the, the fact is the North wins and so does racism. Just the, the most, you know, it really unlocks a, a, a kind of no, new history uh, of the kind of racialization of American, uh, of American identity, but in this profoundly blind way. So to be able to unlock that a little bit and find that space uh, to really reinterrogate the received history and kind of start that revision was just a great opportunity, and, and especially with those characters from Daniel Woodrell's book. Uh, really, really enjoyed that, that one. Yeah, didn't enjoy the release of it, but <laughs> we enjoyed making it. Yeah, I learned from that movie, it, you can do the wrong thing by doing the right thing. Um. <laughs> Because there's a, a real history, the truth, what do you find? And then there's a theatrical history, which is an important part of our culture. And after that movie, I learned to, um, not necessarily smarter, but I learned to respect uh, the culture, reality, a lot more. You have to cope with it. Uh, even if you want to beg different, uh, you still have to cope. You have to be aware of it and cope with it. Uh, it takes sophistication. I, I thought I was... I was right, I have to make a statement. Uh, but uh, I think uh, after that I was m more careful. Uh, not only uh, I come from east to west, when I go back to make Chinese film, I, I, I want to recognize that too, the cultural habits. Uh, it come from somewhere, it does exist. Uh, you have to cope with it and show respect. Uh, uh, another question I'm actually, I, I will ask about this caution, and uh, this is uh, sort of a question I ask on behalf of my students. Uh, I have taught your films in, my, in several of my classes. At the end of the semester, I usually ask them which film would you like to see again. Uh, the majority, I would say, 70% uh, will, will vote for, vote for uh, this caution. And uh, it's, uh, uh, I, I showed the... <laughs> I showed the NC-17 uncensored version, and uh, of course it's a... Uh, um, but it's, it, it, the, the, the term is, is the film is hunting. It's like a, it's hunting. It stays with you for a long time, and uh, it does not look, make you feel happy. It pains you, actually. It really pains you to watch it, but still um, it gives you such, such, such a lot to think. Um, could, could you talk about how, how you did it? I know it's, it's a simple question, but very difficult to, to, to answer maybe. But how did you uh, uh, create such a powerful uh, uh, tension between repression and pleasure, or between <laughs> repression and freedom? Uh, that, that movie came from a short story from Eileen Chang, a brilliant writer. Um, it was, uh, that was that devil, that, that movie, <laughs> that short story. I wish I didn't do that. That's 
for a long time when I was making the movie. I said, what do you, Eileen, what, what will bother me? Why do you haunt me? Uh, I don't want to make this movie. It's too scary. Because um, China, through the history, is a patriarchal society. Uh, when a young girl refused to cooperate, when she says no, when she tells Mr. E to go away, you can feel that it's like little one school get taken off and the whole structure of our history, our social structure collapsed. Uh, it is very powerful. It's very feminine too. I think to put female sexuality against our holy war against Japan, uh, that was very terrifying. And I used to say it's 10 times more scary to do that than portraying American gay cowboys. Um, so I was, for the whole time, I was scared. Um, I basically, I'm a, I'm a shy, nice guy to, to go that deep with the sex scenes, um, <laughs> to do the war on, on the bed uh, with the best actors, most talented, most, they, they give their com complete trust to me. Um, and they're naked, they look at me, what, 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 what do you want us to do? <laughs> um, I can say many things that I feel making that movie, I sort of hit the bottom. Uh, like, I, I don't want to see that movie, I don't want to go back there again. I feel there's uh, some, some haunting, historical aura sort of haunting all us Chinese who've been occupied before, who go through what we went through. Uh, it's just kind of the opposite angle to look at ourselves, uh, which is very hard. Uh, I do identify with, the, uh, I get attracted because she has um, a theater scene where the first time she stayed on stage, play a patriotic girl. Um, it's a patriotic play, but she sees how that effect on the audience and she got the feedback, she loves it, she asks to play. And only through pretense, actually, she found the true self, which is kind of horrifying. That's my story. I had the exact same theatrical experience. First night I stood on stage, light shining on my, my eyes, and I couldn't really see the audience down there, but I can feel them, and I felt that that's where my life is, not here. It's not reality, it's not rationality, but I belong somewhere there. And after that, as soon as the short story, I went out with night eating with our friends, and we were singing, and there was drizzling rain. So when I read it, I was like haunted. Uh, of course, I, I grew up with patriotism. So it's very painful to go down there to tell my parents that generation story. I, I do feel it's my mission to pass down to the next generation, because that's forgotten history. Uh, for my father's generation, I think they twisted history a lot. Uh, they sort of made a mess on both sides of China. <laughs> I think uh, it's our responsibility, even though I know the story indirectly, I think it's important culturally to pass on. If anybody, uh, young people, want to trace back to the Chinese history, you can find some traces, not just only words, uh, but image, uh, moving image, emotions, the secret emotion passed on for a long time. Uh, it, it's a twisted, perverse movie uh, disturbing, it's haunting, but I think um, each time you touch the truth, it's very painful. That's why we need to use all the words to cover what we really want to do. Uh, the subtext can be 
terrifying, but I think it's important as an artist to be, and as a human being, to be honest. If we cannot say it, uh, we make movies, uh, see if we can communicate with each other. Um, I don't really want to talk about that movie. It was so scary. James <laughs> <laughs> is a great help. Five minutes. James is a great supporter. Because mm. I, I borrowed the, um, uh, the genre of film noir. I think mm. uh, she, the writer, used uh, the form of film noir. Mm. Actually, right. She was copying mo what movie does uh, mm. to literally. So it's a very makeable movie. Uh, that, that's a very American Western genre. I think for Chinese, we don't really have the linguistic power to, to use that genre. So James come of great help. Uh, I, uh, uh, Wang Huilin, of course, write and write, and, and James will write, and I sort of put them together. Uh, so as a movie, as a genre, it flows. Uh, it does its work. Uh, we're pretty weak in the movie genres, the, the Chinese. I think we really need um, Western help. It's, of course, I know. he's a good writer. Thank you. Um, I was actually just interested in the premise of your question, the introduction to it. It, it really, um, again, poses, you know, for you and your students, this very strange uh, notion that we take for granted somehow, but it's actually quite odd. Uh, you talk about the movie as being perverse and all these things, but obviously your students and you are right alongside it. Uh, if you say 70% vote, you know, yes to this, this uh, very unpleasant experience. Right, and and it's you know it's interesting because if you go back to kind of the foundations of what we think of as art, art theory, aesthetics, you know, just the idea of of great art, uh, mid 18th century, and Kant is writing in the Third Critique, he has this whole idea at the end of it of of uh, negative pleasure, mm -hmm. negative pleasure, and um, which really extends his analysis of beautiful objects of art into what he, he calls the sublime, right. And negative pleasure, which is a movement where cognitively and emotionally there's just too much to take in, and yet you are taking it in, and somehow you can't take it. Uh, and in that process of failure, a, a genuine failure, which is very unpleasant, you know, it's not pleasurable, uh, something happens to you, and you kind of lift yourself out of it. And of course, that plants the seeds already at the beginning of this idea of art and culture of its own demise, of its own destruction. And so, so you have this constant process of destruction and production of pleasure and pain. Um, and I, I do think Les Caution, which is about my favorite of Aang's movies, is really trying to get to that moment when art itself, and I think your art too, uh, stages it, it, its own kind of unpleasant demise. You know, it gets to a place where you just, you can't, the usual way in which you experience movies and culture, it, it just doesn't work for you anymore. Uh, my next my next question is uh, is is even simpler. It's uh, it's about uh, taking wood Woodstock. Um, among all your recent works, I think taking Woodstock is uh, uh, is more cheerful. It's uh, it's brighter, right? Uh, the ending is uh, seems to be a happy ending. The people, the, the family get rich. The kid found uh, uh, sort of a a career, uh, then. <laughs> Uh, but when Michael Long mentions that his next stop is going to be San Francisco, so put it in the historical context, we know what happens later would be the infamous Art Mount concert, right? So is this an intentional end note that you put into this film oh, to, yeah. frame the, to frame the happy ending, right? It, so, 
Ja. 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 The funny thing about it is that, again, in, the, in terms of these histories, you know, Woodstock is the, considered the, it's the essence, the flowering of the 60s generation, and this just incredible moment when the entire world assumed that half a million hippies and, or more descend chaos and violence and you know, just be a nightmare, and, and instead it was the exact opposite. And what we forget was just three months later, and the same people were involved in that concert. Three months later, it was the end of the 60s at Altamont when the Rolling Stones were on stage and the Hells Angels you know, killed somebody just three feet away from Mick Jagger, right? So it's, it's literally, th these were the same, in a sense, the same event, um, uh, but we have, we have codified them into opposites. So, so that having that taste of, of the unreality, of the still wonderful event, I mean, we're, obviously the movie celebrates, it's, it's very much so, it's a very positive movie, but you have to have that taste of the, the other in there. Okay. Uh, before I open the floor to the audience, uh, I want to ask the last question. Um, this is uh, indeed a question I ask for this audience. Uh, do you have any advice to young people who want to become a filmmaker, an artist, be you, be you, and uh, then uh, maybe just a person who wants to sustain the ideals uh, the love for literature and the arts. Yeah. I, I'm any? really good at this question too, so you go ahead, but I okay. have, I'm really, this is a good one for me. Okay. <laughs> for me, I, I would say, don't do it! <laughs> it's terrible! <laughs> I found people do what I do is the, the ones you tell them that it's, it's all bad and you cannot stop them. So if they need encouragement, just don't do it. Uh, <laughs> Uh, if you like security, don't do it. Uh, if, if they're determined to want to pursue a career in film. Then they, they find their ways. I don't think you can teach them. Uh, no, we're here talking. You don't know which words hits somebody somehow. And then they, they find their ways. Uh, it's their expressions. Uh, you can teach method and to be forgotten. Uh, I think we break away from any frames, uh, artists, uh, not defeated, not to fit in, so you can't really teach them. I think you can polish them, you can remind them what they know from their previous lives. I don't know what it is, but they just keep doing it. Uh, I've, I've taught and mentor a, a few times. I don't like to do that. The few times I, I did, I found the best one, the, the one Kamal successful, they, they, they don't listen to me. Um, <laughs> do I listen? There you go. I mean, for me, uh, and by the way, this is, uh, this is nothing with the film business or art or anything like that, but many of you are progressing in your undergraduate careers and you're going into a zone soon, or many of you are there now, where you are actively seeking advice. It becomes part of the stress. You think it's stress management is actually adding to the stress, I hate to tell you. Um, and, uh, uh, but here's the trick about advice. And I, I, I will solicit from the audience, you don't have to speak in the mic, you just yell it. it I really want one, two, or three volunteers, just very quickly, give me the best piece of advice you've ever gotten in terms of your life or career, just right now. Just yell it out. Be positive. Do what you love, the money will follow. Okay, okay. so be positive. Do, what's that? Have vision. Have ambition? Okay, so here's the deal with advice. Whenever anybody gives you advice, you literally translate it into its exact opposite, and that's equally valuable advice. In other, words, in other words, 
you're going to do what you love, what you really need to do is try things that you don't love because you might find that you actually love that even more. You just never gave, you never gave it a shot, right? So, yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's just, it's ridiculous. So, advice is the form. It is the form that allows for you to experience exact opposites at work. And I just, I, that's my only advice. Just always translate to the opposite and do the opposite. <laughs> Thank you so much. And uh, I think now we are, we are, uh, are we ready to take some questions from the audience. And if you want to ask a question, please. Oh, I see the lines are already there. Yeah. <laughs> so, see, no, they're, uh, they're in line for lunch. Obviously. Okay. Try to keep your question short. Try we'll, to we'll ask. We'll try to keep our answers short too. That's <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Yeah, so I have one uh, question. Um, I'm oh. resident. Yes. Uh, I'm a resident in uh, Wellesley. I have a son. I uh, also like to uh, be a movie producer or a movie uh, um, filmmaker. So he questioned, he said, uh, uh, he asked me, he said, uh, you only produce uh, more than 10 films, but you get two Oscar winners. What's behind that? I said, it's not uh, just luck, it's uh, karma. Uh, what do you think? I think so too. <laughs> you know, uh, in my recent uh, Oscar speech, I start thank the movie God. Uh, yes, I think there is karma. Uh, I think if you think about all the success or failure or frustration or help you get, it's because of you, that's too much to burden. I think if you believe in karma, if you believe that you're a slave of the movie instead of the master, I think that gives you a lot of power. It keeps you going because you're like the vehicle, the, the vessel to, to the idea between the, you're the medium person between the idea and the, and the audience. Uh, it's, it's, it's your mission to do it. You're born to do this. I think once you think that you found uh, good ideas look, uh, will look for you. They found you uh, if they like you. Um, so I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I do believe that. And I told you an early example the first time I stood on stage, my stage experience, that I, I did believe in fate had a hands in that. <laughs> Next question from me. Hi, so I admit that I haven't watched all your movies, so I might be wrong here, but just looking at your, like, the history, I couldn't believe all those movies are made by one person, you know, like, you range from the Hulk to Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, it really don't look like from one person. So what made you want to do a movie, and is there a certain coherence that can, we can connect among all your movies? Well, the difference is what I'm looking for each time I want to... I don't want to be pinned down. I want to learn more. I think I'm an avid filmmaker. Uh, I have a lot of curiosity of how to make a movie and the subject matter that I want to deal with, to learn from. So each time I want to make a leap as far away from the previous one or what I know of, because then I can pretend I do that for the first time, like a virgin. Uh, it's fresh. <laughs> I was scared I'll do my best. Uh, so I can feel fresh. But each time I had to fall back halfway, I don't know what I was doing, and I had to fall back on something. And that safe net is the coherence. I think uh, the subject matter of freedom, repression, uh, social obligation, the struggle of social obligation, and, and personal free will, how did that go? 
And lately, I found that I'm very interesting how person work out his own God, the the emotional connection to the unknown, the, the, the deepest of yourself. How do you deal with that? How do you deal deal with that privately and publicly? I think uh, those are the common threads. And in my movies, women make better decisions, men wish-washy. Uh, <laughs> that reflects my own life. <laughs> uh, there's, you know, here and that, but those are my habits, the, the way I was brought up in Taiwan, uh, my cultural root, which is a, a, a Chinese dream. It's like a, more like a dream, it's abstract. That culture has kind of influenced how I see the world. Uh, again, I, I seek for different, different material each time. Uh, it's like sightseeing. I want to see something fresh I don't know about. Uh, but I fall back on the, no, the through line. Hi there. Um, my name is Annie, um, and I am uh, I major in cinema media studies here at Wellesley, and I'm super humbled uh, to be hearing you speak, but also to be discussing your work and my senior thesis on the state of Asian representation in the contemporary um, American, you know, Hollywood cinema. Um, and so my question is a little self-indulgent, but I hope that you'll bear with me. Um, so judging from you know your previous questions and your previous experience about uh, how diverse your filmography is, um, I was wondering if you think that other filmmakers have a similar obligation to push for diversity in their work and um, what Hollywood can do to ensure that, you know, that um, their work remains diverse to reflect uh, the amount of diversity that um, is present in the world that doesn't always uh, show through, um, especially in the um, popular cinema. Uh, first question, uh, no, I don't think so. Nobody should be obligated to do anything. Do whatever you like. I like diversity, then there are people just doing like Ozu, the Japanese director, he does one movie and he's just repeatedly doing it. Everyone, is, you want to watch them again and again. Uh, it doesn't go deeper or whatever. Uh, to me, I'm like uh, painting a big mirror. From this side, I cannot see that side, but I feel like I'm making long movies. It comes all kind of forms. As long as you're doing your best, uh, you're enjoying doing it and people liking it, I think that's all there is. Um, you know, we want to impress people, we want to be accepted at the same time. Do you believe me? Do you see me? That's the basic motivation. I don't think this should be, and it should or should not be. Hollywood, I, I think you have to earn it. It's don't expect them. They chase for where money is, and they want to feel good about themselves too. <laughs> so uh, for Asian, I see a lot of Asian here. Uh, <laughs> especially the lineups. Uh, I think we have a lot of talented filmmakers and even actors, but I, I think we have a shortage of good writers. Uh, you have to create, we have to create our own material. Uh, whoever you are, Asian or not, I think you want to make it, uh, I think best, you, you come up with your own material. Uh, don't expect the system to change. You have to go ahead and change them. I just add, I mean, look, uh, diversity is an interesting and I think good ideal. If it's a replacement for equality, I have a few issues with that. And I think if you start from a position that's a little bit more rooted in ideas of actual justice as opposed to a reflective idea that diversity alone will solve that problem, you end up with the simple fact that probably the single most diverse 
works of Hollywood cinema right now, and therefore, according to that metric, the best movies are the Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> but it's true, they are. Hi, my name is Teresa Liu. I represent the Great Boston Chinese Culture Association come here because I'm the ex executive committee this year. And uh, this group was formed in 1956 where, when I was born. And all the people in here, this group is a nice shine like you. And we're doing the Chinese cultural emerge to our local uh, American public school and private school. And we are having an annual banquet coming. Uh, they assigned me to come here to ask you to be a keynote speaker, but because I'm busy, don't have time to contact you. And they told me you are here, so I live in Western, so I just drive from Western, come here with the invitation card. Uh, I don't, I don't I hope you don't mind. I just give this to you to see what's your time frame. Are you able uh, to come okay. or not? You, you can Thank give, you. You can give that to my student assistant. You don't need to come to the stage. I, I don't have a thank quick you. answer yeah, to thank that. You I'm much. sorry. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, my name is Xia Yubin. I'm from Beijing, China. It's really great to meet you today. So I have two questions that I saved for 12 and 6 years. So the first one is the original fiction of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is not famous or popular in my country. So how and more important, why did you choose that to represent the ancient Chinese culture? And my second question is um, uh, the movie Last Caution. So you added more story, one more story that when Tang Wei sing a song of Tianya Genu, so that's my favorite detail in that movie. So I cry every time. So why, why did you make that up? How, what, what, what does that mean to you? Thank you very much. Um, a, a friend of mine in Taiwan introduced me the, the books of Crouching Tiger and Dragon. It's actually five volumes. This is volume four. And it was very uneven. It's a pulpy fiction. Uh, there are brilliance. <laughs> moments and there are parts that just goes on and on and on, uh, you know. Um, this one uh, attracts me because the, uh, uh, the word Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is the Taoist uh, thought, the tiger and the dragon that's hidden, that's our repressed sexual desire. How do you deal with that? Or emotion. Uh, I think that really got to me and they have a very outstanding character, the young, uh, young character, the rebellious character played by Zhang Ziyi. That character really attracts me. Uh, so I got into it. Another thing is the last image you see in the movie, the girl flying down to the cloud. Uh, at the end of the book, when I saw that, I, I have that image in my head. I said, "How I, I want to make that movie, but what do I have to backtrack? Uh, what do I do to at the end of the movie? Uh, the audience again arrive how I feel when I read the, the novel. It was a very uneven novel. Uh, subject matter, some attracts me. Um, it was kind of Greek in a way. Um, I want to do something wild. Um, the structure, the, the big flashback, the structure interests me. And it has a character, that German fast character. Uh, you know, the leading man is really the, the better-looking version of the director himself. <laughs> I was in the position, I was like a da I was like a, you know, his position, yeah. 
uh, I have to do the right thing, uh, I have to repress. Uh, I was at that position, but also have a lot of desires. Um, and you're in a conflict with uh, the martial art and the martial art sort of a virtual, a virtual also. And I have a lot of things that attracts me. And I have uh, two great uh, female lead characters, which I always like. Uh, I think after Crouch, uh, uh, Sense and Sensibility, the verbal fight between women, I want to do some kick-ass women act. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the second question, um, Tian uh, Yagani, you've seen the movie, but it's uh, one of the oldest Jiangnan uh, in South China, uh, around Shanghai area. Uh, that's an old song. Uh, it's, it's, it's called Jiangnan How to Translate. How to Translate in English. The Good Time. So beautiful is the, yeah. the song. So that's a song for, uh, that represents to me, in a sense, a lot of. Uh, um, to the like uh, Mr. E's job around the government the collaboration and the spice world, the, the Chinese FBI world. Uh, they come from that region, including Chiang Kai-shek and all his uh, secret police. They come from the area. Everybody came from innocent time, and then it become man. The darker version with their childhood. So when she sings that song, I think it's particularly meaningful. That rich touched the soft point. However dark is, there was always days of innocence. There's always a paradise that we missed. We left. Um, what do we do? I think that's a soft spot in my heart, and I think in my character's heart. So I decided to put it there. Hi, um, my name is Jacqueline, and I'm a Wellesley student here, and it's really an honor just hearing you speak today. But my question is, um, it blows my mind that for six years you were without a job, and I was just wondering what kept you motivated in like film, like what kept you going? Like why didn't you just decide to stop after like three years or something like that? Thank you. It's actually quite simple. Uh, I don't know anything else. <laughs> That's why I said to you, you have a choice, don't do it. Um, I was clumsy uh, just about everything else. I, I think I just wanted really badly. Since that stage experience when I was 18 years old, that's all I wanted to do, but I was afraid to admit it, uh, at least to my father, that I want to make movies. That's a funny job. Uh, but I really wanted badly. Um, I couldn't focus on anything else, even waitering, like bring food to the table to the customers. I would mess it up. I do small jobs like PA production uh, assistant productions or editing table, doing sync up dailies. I, I mess things up. The only thing I can do is direct. If I find a little job like doing lighting in a production group, I start in the morning and in the afternoon. Everybody, including director, will listen to me. What should we do now? I think I was born to do this thing. Uh, even in filmmaking, I'm only good at telling what people to do. I was born for this. Think about it. I have a very strange job. Every day, people ask me hundreds of questions about what do you want. So I'm just telling people what do I want. <laughs> They're all smarter than I am. Then they figure out. Sometimes they stand there, look like I'm thinking, and then things just happen. <laughs> I was born for that, I believe that. I think if I take a leap of faith, I, I believe something, that's the only thing I can believe. 
Otherwise, my, my wife was scolding me at home, like, I couldn't do this right, that right, I forgot to pick up my kid, and he was crying. <laughs> it was a mess. What else? I, I have no other choice. I'm great at doing something and terrible at everything else. What do I do? Um, at the six years, I, I really hit the bottom. I thought that was, that was, that was a joke. Uh, maybe my son would be a genius because I, I, I had the impression it takes three generations to create a genius. Maybe I'm the second one. <laughs> the one that's skipped and... Um, well, I, I don't have an answer. I don't encourage you to do the same thing, like jobless, wandering, and... I, I don't encourage young people that I'm not a good example, but I'm just happy I finally happened. And, and right things come, you know, I wrote a script, I got a reward, I got money, and. I need somebody to help me. There's gems, it just happened. Uh, yes, I do believe in karma, one of you asked me. <laughs> Hi, my name is Ziyun Deng from Harvard. Uh, we missed your event yesterday, but we follow you here. Um, so compared to California, it's a short distance. Uh, my question is, just now in our conversation, you talked about history. So uh, I want to ask both of you guys, both. Annie and James, have you considered or will you consider to make a film about real historical event, a real historical figure? If so, or if not, what are the opportunities or challenges have you th thought of? Thank well, you. Right now we're in the throes of trying to figure out how to make a movie about Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali and their three fights uh, in 3D. And uh, the biggest challenge, I think, uh, of doing a real historical film with that is simply if you make a 3D movie at 24 frames a second and you try to include Joe Frazier's left hook, it doesn't work in 3D. You can't, that horizontal movement is a disaster. Um, so this may well be the end of his career, unless he figures it out. <laughs> I think the challenge of doing uh, historical figures that's not really history yet it's very much alive or at least in people's memory uh, you run into the the problem of cultural habits uh, especially Ali is an icon the making of the icon of Ali is a cultural phenomenon how do you deal with that it's not just dealing with a character or reality you're taking uh, you're picking on the ideology so so that would be uh, other than the technical challenges, uh, there's a mental challenge to me. Uh, yeah, we're like this. You know. <laughs> it's very exciting. We have only uh, 10 minutes left. I know there are still long lines. Um, but, uh, let's see, we, we, we take two more questions from each side. That's four more questions. that all right? So very sorry for people waiting behind them. So. Hi, uh, my name is Patricia, and I'm a student at Wellesley as well. Um, I was seven years old when Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon came out, and I remember being at my Chinese church, um, and after service, all these aunties and uncles would go to the movie theater in groups of 20 or 30 or 50 just to see Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Um, and there were two reasons because of this. One, because it was an Ang Lee film, and two, because you don't see a lot of traditional Chinese culture in American media today. So I was wondering about your thoughts about the portrayal of Chinese culture and society in uh, Western media, um, and your thoughts on that. And as a perfectly self-indulgent question, I'm a really big fan of Wang Lihong, and I was wondering what it was like <laughs> <laughs> to work with him as an actor. Okay. 
Well, Wang Lihong is played a young student leader in Las Caution. He's a big Asian pop star. Um, when we're filming him, uh, there are a lot of teenage girls outside of the set, <laughs> waiting all day. When we uh, escort him from the other way, they don't get to see him. They, they fall into the group's hysteria, just <laughs> howling, crying. I couldn't, I'd never see people cry that. Not Sally, but big. The mouth is like this big. Like, they're just howling and howling and tears from us. Uh, actually, that uh, pop star power doesn't translate into movies. So uh, I cast him not because he's a pop star for box office, um, but because he was raised here in Rochester, not close to here. Uh, like many of you, there's a very much enclosed um, environment in Chinese community. So in some ways, even though he's American, his first language is English, not Chinese, which is a disadvantage. But when you make a good adjustment, I think he's more authentic to my parents' generation than kids today in Taiwan, in Hong Kong, in China. To me, he's closer to the movie stars who plays heroes in those propaganda movies created in Hong Kong, particularly uh, Pacific, uh, uh, what's that? Cathay Studio. Uh, when I was young, that was the studio before Shaw Brothers. So I think he looked like the thing. And he has a demeanor almost like that, even though he's brought up here. Uh, he's a hard worker, first time uh, acting experience. I, I like him in the movie. He's Language is slightly off. I think it's tolerable. Um, that's Lee Hong for you. Uh, Crouching Tiger and Dragon, I just wanted. Well, Crouching Tiger and Dragon is like my childhood fantasy and midlife crisis together. <laughs> I just want to do it, and I check with gems. This is a crazy martial art things. You know, I'm, I did Sense Sensibility. I did you know, three American films back then. Uh, I think I have the cloud to raise money to do the martial art films I want to do. In the particular industry, uh, from Hong Kong, Taiwan, and then China, uh, is, is fight choreographer get to direct. They're the bigger directors. Uh, for non-choreographers, you tell them you want five, five minutes who win, who lose, and then they do their movie. They, they, you, you fit it into your movie. I think I can engage in the fighting sequences. And for me, fighting is drama. It's uh, the ultimate uh, expression of a relationship of character, because there's life and death. Uh, 